0: Welcome to the Epiphany Movement podcast. To learn more about the Epiphany Movement, visit us online at epiphanymovement.com. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's talk from Pastor Drake Nelson. So the conversation that we're going to have this morning, and I do mean conversation, It is so dangerous, so powerful, that honestly, it can divide the church. Or, it could multiply, and we could see a, Huge growth. But what we're talking about this morning is so serious, so life changing, that there is a great responsibility, and I hope you see that, that is on me this morning to rightly discern what we are about to read in Scripture. But there's not only a responsibility on me, there's a huge responsibility. And I may even say a great burden on you. Because if I have rightly discerned what I have read this week, and I have rightly applied it, then it is as if God has removed me from out of the way and is speaking directly to you. So as you sit there this morning, you must ask yourself the question, is that is what Drake is speaking true and biblical? Does he apply it in the context of my life? And if the answer is yes, then it is up to you to say, how will you reset this to make it normal in your life? How will you extrapolate this over every aspect of your life? Because what we are going to talk about is massively important and can be massively taken out, of, taken out of context. And James knows this. That is why he is going to wait until the very last chapter in the book, very last paragraph, and the last two verses that James is going to write in his book is going to be, I've built the foundation I've showed you the context. I've showed you how you should act and how you should speak. I've showed you what you should think and what you should do. Now that I've built this cathedral around you, it is only now that I can say what I have to say. And so you're like, Drake, we know that James built this context, but um, uh, obviously we're not, you know, an every Sunday goer anymore. That was like 1960, 1970. Now we're like more or less, like, you know, two, three Sundays a month. What if I miss last Sunday or the last, sun, or the last Sunday or the last Sunday? Can you catch me up is what you're asking. Yes, I can. Really quick, okay? Let me catch you up really quick. We talked about STOP, S-T-O-P, on how to uh, deal with anxiety and stress in our life. S is for seek God in prayer. T is for we gotta thank God. O is for we have to orient our thoughts, think about what we think about, remember, and then P is for we praise God. And if we will do S T O P, which James steps out for us in the first chapter, then what? We will deal with anxiety, we will deal with stress in our life in a influential way. And then he just starts taking bangers to our faces because he starts saying, hey, I want to get inside your life. I want to show you how to live, show you what to think, show you how to function in the world. So he begins and says, you know, it's not wrong to want to be the best. It's not wrong to want to be the best nurse, mom. It's not wrong to want to be the best leader, Mr. John, or uh, I don't know, the best farmer. It's not wrong to want to be the best song director. It's not even wrong to want to be the best bomb or the best dad that you can be. It's not wrong to want to be the best person that you can be. It's not wrong to want to be the best in your craft. And let's extrapolate that over our, our spiritual life. It's not wrong to try to be the best Christian that you can be, the best person you can be. It's not wrong to try to you know, have the best spiritual blessings that you can have. It's not, Paul says, run the race as though to what? To win the race. So we're going to try to be the best that we can be. But a lot of people, sometimes what happens is we can cheat other people to get to the best. Or we can have wicked schemes to get to the best. What James is going to say is if you want to be honored, which we all do, then here's what you do. Do you remember this? You do what? My grandma says, humble, and I can't stand it. Has an H in there, mama. Humble. He says, humble yourself before God and then He will do what? He will lift you up. And so does humble meaning that we should just kind of come over here to the side and don't see me, I'm not in the limelight, oh, he's so sweet, Drake, he never talks, he's so shy and quiet and he never... No, that's not. Humility can... In, the easiest definition that I can think of is just seeing God. When we see God for who he is, then we can become humble because we see who he is. I've always said this, we are not a sinner, say by grace, we are a saint. Right? But we are still saved by grace. And so when we see God, we can then humble ourselves. And when we do that, God will exalt us. So we can be an extrovert and still be humble. We can be an introvert and still be humble. We can have a high-stress job with high visibility, be humble. We can have a low-stress job, high visibility, be humble. We can have a high-stress job with zero visibility or a low-stress job with zero visibility because it doesn't matter if you're seen or you're not seen. You're an introvert or an extrovert. You love to talk or could just never say a word. It doesn't matter. Humility has to do with your heart. Do you Step back. This really was brought to life for me when uh, me and Mr. Bill went to go do the door to door. Cause he was he would you know knock on the people's doors, and he would say this. He would say, and I can't do my Mr. Bill gully accent, but I'm going to do my best, you know. Uh, well, we we got down to the church and they were fixing some fish. I don't know, I'm not good, Mr. Bill. I can't. I like I, I can't do it, you know. But we was fixing some fish and they called me and said how impressed they were with Brother David and everybody loved Brother David and he was just such an awesome blessing. And I was kind of sitting there, you know, kind of like... You know, like, like, and like, I know Brother David was awesome and, and extremely nice and everybody loved him. But for me, it was kind of bringing out the insecurity within me. Because I was like, I want, I want, I, I know, I know. I was like, I want people to like me, you know. I want to be what liked. like. I want people say about me when I'm gone. Like, I want to be well liked. like. And in that moment, I had to step out of insecurity and step into I'm security to say, hey, look, we are all on the same team. And our goal is to what? Our goal is to share the gospel. And so when I realized that and I looked at God, I looked at who he was, I realized who I am, I could step into security and say, you know what? Absolutely, right on. And we had some amazing conversations, didn't we, Mr. Bill? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm saying that I'm not perfect at that. And I don't have everything um, under control. But what we should do is humble ourselves so that God will then what? He will elevate us. And then he moves from humility. He says, this should reflect in the way that you talk. Now, a lot of people, when they say, you should watch your mouth, what is the first thing that they're saying? They're thinking. Well, you shouldn't use them four-letter words, right? That's what people think. You shouldn't be cussing. And that is true. I mean, that is true. I have people sometimes that, you know, tell me, like, uh, Drake, I don't think it's wrong to cuss. And I'm like, okay, well, why not? They'll give me their argument. Well... Uh, it's just another word and the culture kind of determines what the word is and it has a negative connotation, but society determines that it's a negative connotation. To me, it's just another word to which I say, you're exactly right. Thank you for pointing that out. But considering Ephesians 4, 21 says that you should not use negative foul or abusive language and you're saying that it's a negative word that our society has deemed as negative, then why are we having this conversation? You proved your point. To which they then say, well... Uh, whatever, whatever. And I will say, well, you know, let's look at the Bible. The Bible in all of its words doesn't say one bad word. It doesn't say one swear word in the entire Bible to which they bring up what? Well, the King James Version says the A word. Have you ever heard that? To which I respond by saying, okay, fair enough. That would be like me going out and saying, People are sweating in here right now. Like, talk about something else, right? Okay, I understand, all right? I got a little bit further to go, and then it may even get quieter. Okay, so if I was just to say, ah, man, I have a leak in... in in the beaver dam you wouldn't think that i was saying a cuss word would you i was talking about something totally different in a different context of the way that we use that word well the same thing is true as that what are they talking about they're talking about a donkey right yeah absolutely so it's a different context so i try to explain that and then oh well they still they they may say this well they still use it to which i say well okay technically let's go the bible's written in three different languages greek hebrew and aramaic a little bit of aramaic and and all that it doesn't even say one swear word in all the original language it doesn't even say that it actually says donkey in there and then i tried to explain it actually doesn't say donkey it says an unfertile horse which we think is a what uh donkey yeah yeah so that's what we say but the obvious the obvious place that we go is oh yeah you should if you watch your tongue you should really watch the four letter words but james is actually going to take it up a notch he's going to say no, no 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 that's not what it's all about You shouldn't speak evil of people. You shouldn't gossip. You shouldn't watch what you say. And then he... Even goes further than that. He says, you go around talking about, well, tomorrow I'm going to go to the grocery store and the next day I'm going to go to, I'm going to watch golf and then Sunday I'm going to go to church and Monday I'm going to go watch Mississippi State play and Tuesday I'm going to do this. He says, no, 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 no. Instead, you should say, if God allows, have you ever read this in the Bible? If God allows, then I will go to work. If God allows, then I will go to the grocery store. He says, look, change your vocabulary in the way that you humble yourself and say, if God allows. And he goes, goes even one step further, which he learns from Jesus, because Jesus says, don't say by heaven or by earth, for earth is God's footstool, heaven is stone. Don't say by your head, for you cannot say or turn one hair gray or black. Don't even say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. That's what Jesus said. But James is going to come right around that idea. He's going to say, you should not take an oath. Just give a simple yes I will, or no I will not. Anything else is for the evil one. So why do we say then, I promise, bro, I swear on my mama, this is true. Why do we say stuff like that? Why do we say, I I promise, when we stand and we take oath, why don't we put our hand on the Bible and say blah, 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 which we are breaking the very word of which our hand is upon at that point. Why do we do that? We do that because our word, our yes, doesn't mean as much as it should, does it? Our no doesn't mean as much as it should. So when we have to, really try to get a point across. I promise, I promise this is true. I swear this is true. That's what we say, right? Instead of taking words from James and Jesus saying yes or no and let it be. And so James builds this foundation of which I try to catch you up on and he's going to finish and here's what he's going to say in the last two verses. James 5:19. So controversial, so dangerous, but yet he says it anyway. And let me ask you, What does this mean in our lives? Verse 19 from James chapter 5. Here it goes. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, Verse 20, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. So here James says, if you see someone in sin, you should call him out. You should go to him, bring him back into salvation so that you will forgive his sin. Or yeah, his sins will be forgiven and you had something to do with that. So how do we take that verse and when Peter called, uh, Paul called Peter out, and other examples in the Bible, how do we take that and then reconcile that with Jesus who says, judge not, lest you be judged? Or he says something like, how can you dare say to a friend who has a speck in his own eye, hey, let me help you with that. When you can't see past the log in your own, first deal with a log in your eye, then you may see well enough to help him with the speck in his own. How do you hold the two truths? And how should we approach it? When should we approach it? Should we approach it? How should we approach it? It's the questions, right? And and honestly, here's why it's so dangerous. Is because if we came in here this morning and we just started calling out each other's sins, you, we, we'd need way longer than an hour or an hour and ten minutes like this morning's going to be. I think I think we may need longer than a day. Oh, man. Because it can be so dangerous for someone like me to come up on a stage and say, when we see someone struggling in sin, we should go to that person. And then we... Think, we've heard from God. we got somebody in our mind. We know what they're doing. We're coming. We're coming for you. As soon as I crack the doors open, I'm gone. I'm going to go and I'm going to tell them what I think. I'm going to tell them what they're doing wrong. And that is an extremely sensitive situation. Because here's what you can do. You can destroy someone. You can take years off their spiritual journey and their spiritual life if you do not handle this extremely, extremely sensitive topic with care and urgency. If you come in blasting with a machine gun, with condemnation and law, do you know what that's going to do to them? It's not going to do what James says and bring them back. They will become uh, Christians, not, uh-uh, don't want nothing to do with it. So we then have to take up the mantle of responsibility of how to go about doing this. And if we should do it, because let me just be honest for me really quick. Every time that I see someone in sin, I struggle with this. Because I want people to be so close with God. I want them to not sin. I want them to have a good relationship with God, especially maybe a sin that I can see. But hear me, I have to be so cautious, so thinking in my mind to say, do you know where they came from? They may not have all their T's crossed and their I's dotted, but five years ago, look where they were. A year ago, look where they were. And now look where they are. But they're a Christian. They don't need you m- mowing them down any more than they already are. So not every single person that... Because I struggle with this. Not every single person that I see do I approach. But at the same hand, sometimes there are Christians... There are circumstances that God puts someone on my heart to say they are in sin and I want you to go have a, a genuine conversation with them. So then how do I handle that? I handle that with grace as much as I can give and with love as much as I can have. Paul says this, speak the truth but speak it in love. So I may have the conversation, but it will not be, how dare you? And and I'm not saying that I do it right at all. I'm just trying to be real with you to which I will say, hey, look, I see you're struggling. I'll always try to relate myself to them. I struggle too. We're both fellow strugglers. And I see you, and I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you will stop. I'm praying you will find boldness. I'm praying you will find repentance. I'm praying for you. And I have a log in my eye too. I just want you to know I'm here for you if you ever want to talk. Let me know if I can do anything for you. And I try to approach it with love. And I'm not saying this right because sometimes Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he just told them what he thought. And then sometimes he handled it with grace too. So I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying that do you see how sensitive of a topic this can be when you approach someone and say, let me tell you what you're doing wrong because we do stuff wrong too. Remember when I had you repeat, I'm not perfect and no one's perfect. I'm not perfect. So it's an extremely sensitive topic. So you say, well then Drake, how would I ever approach it? How would I ever approach it? The best example that I can give is I had like two guys um, who came up to me. This is like a year and a half ago, and I didn't have sin in my life, um, but they did have something they wanted to talk to me. It was a great conversation, and here was the conversation: "Is Drake, you speak about 95% too fast, all right? So, and not only that, but you walk about 95% too fast too. You know, it's like this." like i'm sure what you're saying is amazing and you know for the young ones who can get it they love it but um we can't get it so if you would just maybe slow down i see a lot of you nod like come on now like i don't know who these two men were but i need to thank them. <laughs> all right so it was um, a sensitive, do you see how I could have had my feelings hurt or I could have been like, oh, man. It was. A, but when they handled it with grace and with truth and with love, say, so I hate that, but, but I'm, I'm doing this because I love you. You see, i was like, yeah, absolutely, I can absolutely do that because they handled it with a sensitive subject with grace and love and with truth because obviously they were right. It's the same idea. It's the same idea that we need to handle when there are the times when we call people out. Hey, you're struggling. I'll let me pray for you. I'll give you this analogy to end it. Suppose that I had a pulley. And the pulley was at the top of the ceiling. And from the pulley, there were two ropes that came down. All right? And I was to grab hold of one of the ropes. Which one should I grab and not hit the ground? Would I grab the right rope? If I grab the right rope and I fell, I would hit the ground. Or if I grab the left rope and I fell, I would hit the ground too. If I don't want to hit the ground when I fall, I better grab onto the left rope and to the right rope and fall and I will stop before I hit the ground when the rope tightens. And in the same way, we can't deny the fact that we are to approach someone in sin when God has put them on our heart and is telling us to do so. At the same time, we have to hold on to the rope of grace and the rope of truth to say when we go up, we are going to go with a prayerful mindset. We are going to go with no condemnation. We are going to go with grace and with love and point out what they are doing and how we can help them. And ask, how can we help them? When we hold on to both these ropes, yes, we're going to go. But yes, we're going to do it with love and in truth. And when we go, we will not fall and people will come. That's how we can have a congregation who talks to each other. That's how we can have a congregation who holds each other up instead of pushes each other down. I think we have an amazing congregation. Hear me, I'm not saying anything else. I think we have an amazing congregation but I have to and we have to approach this subject and speak biblically on it so that we can all have an understanding of how to go about this. I know it was a difficult topic but it's something that I have to talk about and I have to talk about in a way so that we can have a biblical understanding on how to do this. Hold on to both the right rope and the left rope, and it is then that people will come to Jesus. You won't run people away. They won't feel condemnation. They will feel love and acceptance and you will draw them in. It's not everybody, but when God does put someone on our heart, don't be fearful. Go out and speak His Word. Speak it in grace. Speak it in truth. Speak it with lots and lots of prayerful consideration. Let's pray. God, thank you for everything that you've given us, God. just thank you for Mr. Bill and what he has brought today, God. I pray for just the word that that we've taken a couple of minutes and looked at, God. I pray that we would do this and we would apply this to our life, God, that when we see someone, um, that we won't come in with machine guns of condemnation and law, but God, instead, when you put someone on our heart, I pray that we would handle it with much prayer, much grace, and pre-think on what we want to say, that we do not say well you do this no instead god i love you i love you as i'm speaking to you let's have a conversation i pray for this church i thank you for this church i thank for everyone here it's in your name i pray amen and amen